what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Just some of that insecurity, but I'm embracing my body and my, my myself way more now than I did back then. And I, I, I wish I knew what I know now back then, but I also just know that, you know, that was just my process. Okay, welcome back to Meet Bridget. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Kashia Rosenberg, and together with my best friend, Asha Gabriel, we run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. Welcome back. Welcome back for another interview. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're excited. We have a very special guest named Rubina Diane. Rubina was born in 1996 in Yerevan, Armenia, and raised in Barcelona, Spain. She is a self-taught artist who found her passion for art at a very early age. She developed her craft over the years as she moved from Barcelona to Los Angeles and later to New York City, where she is currently based. At the age of 17, she sold her very first painting, and thanks to her work in the fashion industry as a model, she began integrating her art into the fashion world through features and collaborations with designers and brands such as Free People, For Love and Lemons, Tree Torn, uh, Nordstrom, Galore Magazine, and many more. Rubina's style is versatile, yet she tends to work with abstract expressionism and portraiture the most. She also expresses her creativity in other media and formats like film photography and embroidery. You may recognize her face if you look her up from very recent campaigns with anthropology, uh, reformation, and many, many more. She is a really astounding looking, but also being person, and we're thrilled to have her on the podcast today. So welcome, Rubina. (laughs) Thank you. That was a really sweet intro. Like blushing now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a lot to be a proud of, and at such like a a young age, still you are um, really just so beautiful in your expression and so many of the things that you do. So we're excited to get into it today. I'm so excited to talk with you. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, right from the get go, we talk to you know women from all different places, backgrounds, but so far most of them have been within the U.S. I'd love to get into you know where you were born in Armenia and how it was like growing up and then, you know, moving multiple times. Um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about like, you know, your early childhood. Sure. So um, I was born in Yerevan, Armenia and um, don't recall much of that because um, at age two, my family and I decided to move to Barcelona. So except for the time I spent in Armenia in the following years, I really don't remember like, you know, just my early childhood there, but I, um, my family moved to uh, Barcelona. It was um, kind of like my parents' decision. They were really young. They were adventurous. They were, you know, impulsive in some ways. And, you know, they just packed their bags, grabbed me, and we moved to Barcelona. I found it quite an easy transition um, just because I was so young. You know, I think the transition was much harder for my parents um, because they were still both pretty young and they were, you know, just finding their way in a new country, in a new continent, you know, just... Um, in 1999, it was just very different, you know, and um, it was relatively easy for me. I learned the language pretty easily. I learned Spanish and Catalan at, you know, age three, four. I, I made friends really quickly, you know, and um, I was always a really, really shy kid. So I remember this story my mom once told me. She was like, 
it was early, like a year or two uh, after we moved there. And she just went to school to speak to some of the teachers to see how it was transitioning. And they were like, she was so worried. And they were like, she's actually doing pretty well. Like she speaks Catalan fluently. She's got a bunch of friends, this and that. And, you know, just my mom always thought I was like super shy. and Like didn't, you know, talk much because that, that's how I always was at home and continued being, you know, at home. We had, um, you know, it was a pretty tight ship at home. You know, it was, uh, my parents were young when we moved. So they kind of got to also somehow grow up in Spain with, with that culture, but they still maintain the tradition and mentality of, of the people in Armenia. You know, growing up, it was, it wasn't hard, but you know, they were very strict when it came to like my social life and, and, you know, the way I could behave at home. There was never, I was never grounded, you know, there was no, I've never a reason for me to be even grounded because I had no space at home for a rebellion. Yeah, I just knew, you know, like. You just knew. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to know what the. <laughs> it's, I kind of, I can relate to that. My dad was like a very, I mean, he's such a softie, but he was very um, intimidating kind of when I was younger. So I, I look back, there was always a threat of a spanking, but I don't, I, yeah. I don't really remember any spankings. I was terrified enough to be like, I am a good girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were, my parents were like that. They were very different uh, in raising me, but it was always very implicit. Like you knew what your limits were and what your boundaries were. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciated that later in my life. Definitely not when I was growing up because I felt like, especially in Barcelona, like all my friends were very carefree, you know, in the best sense of the word and just very like, free spirits just kind of doing whatever they wanted you know it's a very different culture so I mean it was like completely different worlds and um so growing up I was like why do all my friends get to do all of this stuff and I'm just like go straight to school come back home if you're a little late where were you (laughs) what were you doing you know (laughs) um uh, most of my social interactions and social life actually all of my social life was really in school so that was interesting because um, when I moved to America at 16, you know, and then I moved to New York a few years after that, I was all of a sudden given all this freedom. So that was like, you know, also culture, culture shock, shock in that sense too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So what were you like growing up in Barcelona? It sounds like school was really like your outlet to be social and to have fun. What kind of hobbies did you have? What were you like as as a young like student in, in this new environment? Tell us a little bit more about that. My passion since I was very, very young was drawing. And um, I found that at home. I found that in my, you know, in my room, where, which was my safe place at home. And it was like my, you know, my little cave and my little, you know, isolation, my own world. And um, I would just find magazines at home and would trace portraits and would try to make them as realistic as possible and started with drawing and then it transitioned to painting over time my parents actually sent me to um art classes and I hated them (laughs) I hated being told what to do and how to do it (laughs) yeah painting was definitely a big huge part of my life and it still is and the kids in my school were also all so talented I mean they all had something and they you know, always took it a little further, you know, they, they always embraced their passions and showed them in all kinds of ways. And I remember one of the things they did for all my friends did before I left was they all put like this 
awesome video, really well edited video together. And there's like phone alarm. It's like wake up to when I moved to America to like listen to and just hear their voices. And you know, they all sang and, and you know, they, they were all painters and they were just all so creative. So I was always surrounded by creatives growing up and I never really realized that because it was just such a normal, you know, thing. It must have really encouraged your own natural habits too, whether it was like you attracting the energy or the energy attracting you, or maybe it was cyclical, but just to have that, like I could see the joy radiating off of your (laughs) face when you talk about, you know, art and creativity. It was a big part of of our upbringing, you know, my, my friends too, they were all just very creative kids and it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. When looking back at it, it just felt like a different life for me. It was, I don't know how that life happened, you know, how, how that, that was such a different part of me. My life in America is completely different and um, not that it's better or worse, but it's just, I don't know. I just feel like I've lived a few, few different lives already. <laughs> I love it. I'm curious how, I love hearing how school systems are different in different countries because they can be extremely different, just the way that they're structured. You know, we assume sometimes as Americans that it's like, okay, most kindergarten and then there's, you know, the K through five and middle school and high school um, and that you kind of learn these, you know, very specific subjects and that's how it's laid out. How was school kind of structured in Spain, even like in, because I know that everybody takes siesta right in the middle of the day how does that even with school and also i i've known a lot of spanish people that like (laughs) like they're like let's go to dinner and i'm like okay great like when should i make the reservation maybe like seven and they're like oh i was thinking like 11 30 so you kind of walk us through like a day as a young young kid in in barcelona so yeah most of my classes would start around like eight and then we'd have like an hour break at some point like I'm just remembering like high school (laughs) years and then we'd we'd like end at like five I think and then I would go home get home by like six or something but yeah I think one of the most the biggest differences between the structure and 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 the way they teach in Spain compared to America is probably the level um, of the education there Um, it was far more advanced and um, in Spain than it was in America for me at the beginning at least when I when I first moved here, I remember just um, <laughs> some of the exams I was taking that were like multiple choice, you know, that's like <laughs> brand new to me. We didn't have that. Everything was an essay. Even our math questions were all like, oh, yeah, it's like <laughs> really get into detail. So that was that was a bit of a shock for me because it was not that it was easier, but, you know, it was um, it was just very different. Yeah. I also moved um, what would be the equivalent of my sophomore, like midway through my uh, halfway through my sophomore year. So. I had to do a bit more high school in America. I had to do the two extra years that you would do pre-college in Spain. So um, so I had a couple extra high school years in America. But um, but yeah, very, very, very different systems. And um, do you start, I mean, how many different schools do you go to as you kind of, because that's, our schools are usually like kind of broken up in those specifics, like high school is its own thing. Some people have middle school and usually like an elementary school. How how many like different schools do you typically go I to, or do you stay with the same group? same group? I remember we don't have we don't have the same structure as you do, but we do have elementary would be so elementary here is what it's usually like first gr- kindergarten, kindergarten to sixth grade, first, yeah, yeah, through 
yeah, fifth or sixth grade. Yeah, our grades are completely different too. Um, yeah, or sometimes it's like kindergarten through eighth grade will be all the way one thing for some people. No, for us, it and cuts then high school is always kind of yeah. So for us, it cuts. So high school actually starts earlier for us. So you start at what age here? I think thir- thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So we have primaria, which is uh, from six to twelve years old. And then from 12 to 6 years old, you have secundaria, which is, I guess, the mi- middle school here, right? Is it? Are you mm-hmm. 12 years old when you when you finish middle school? And like when you yeah, finish middle about... school almost. In the middle of it. Yeah. That's different. Uh, yeah, it's very different. I, we might have to edit this out because I actually like... <laughs> no, it's, it's good. We're, we're, we're figuring it out. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's, it's hard so when you like, it's what you knew. So it's like, okay, well, what do you do? <laughs> I just remember my my high but, high school would end at age sixteen, and then we have okay. like two the two years from seventeen to eighteen that you can do pre college, and then you move on pre-college. to it. yeah. Uh, we call it bachillerato. I've also heard that from multiple different countries. I like my family. Um, my mom's side of the family is originally from India, so I had friends that transferred mid high school back to India. And in India, they have kind of pre-college or they actually have you specialize in your job much earlier in the process. Like you're choosing your career in India by like 12, 13, and you're already going down that that path where here it's like, you know, not if some people go all the way through college and they're like, okay, what should I do now? You know, I can imagine going already like you're if you're in the middle of high school, you're in your teenage years, you know, picking up and moving to America. But then also going into this completely different system. It's art. It's already a really intense transitional period of your life. But to have everything change, like all the structure that you were kind of getting used to, must have been so wild. So one of the things that I actually thought was actually the biggest shock <laughs> was the idea of just having this path, right? Like when I was in Spain. I don't know if it was just me. I think it was also my friends too, but we, we didn't really know what we were going to do. Even when we were already like 16, 17, we had no clue. Sure, we would go, you know, maybe specialize in something, but it wasn't really as clear and laser focused and tunnel visioned as it is in America. And that was the one thing that I realized when I moved here, everybody was working towards one goal, right? Like you just had this idea of what you wanted to do, what you wanted to pursue, the career you wanted to focus on. And from a very early age, you were just kind of, you had this destiny, right? You had this like path and you had your your grades depended on, you know, the college you would get into, the college that you got into and graduated from dependent, you know, was everything was uh, this like very linear. Very linear. Honestly, in that sense, it wasn't, that big of a transition because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But along the way, I kind of figured it out and I continued my education and I was happy to, even when I, you know, began modeling and I actually <laughs> graduated with my JD in 2020 and I'm now pursuing my, my master's at USC, but I'm, I'm pretty clear about what I want to practice. I want to practice uh, immigration law and that's something that it's, you know, really close to my heart, but I had no idea back then in Spain, like that was I just wanted to be an artist, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to paint and that was it. Well, it's really interesting listening to the trajectory too and the differences culturally, because I I agree with you, especially now, you know, everyone has 
that one goal or they feel like they need to brand themselves to be the ultimate version of themselves for the rest of forever because, you know, once you're branded on social media, it's like that's it. But I think there is really something to that creative mindset that other countries practice and that you got to experience a little bit, especially as a creative person, where you don't necessarily need to have it figured out, even going into the, the latter part of high school. It's like you can have literally no idea and just do the best you can do and lean into the things that you're interested in, like art and creativity. And, you know, it. Whereas here in America, they'd be like, okay, well, you need to figure it out, doctor, lawyer, whatever, you know, influencer, tech world, it doesn't matter. It's like there's such a pressure to know exactly what you're going to do on your way out of high school, where in reality, you can be just as successful having no idea. And that you can, you know, life is long, that you can redefine and have second, third, fourth acts over the course of your life. And that there's so many more careers that, you know, you could explore. and and. I, I love hearing your story because you've had such, um, you know, contrasting careers. You would think someone with such like an artistic mind and who's had this like physical expression of modeling and everything. And then, and then to be studying law, I think it's fascinating because it's clearly like very different like parts of your brain, but that you, you're able to do both and, and have both within one lifetime and not really have to feel like you had to be on one linear path. Well, look, I also tend to spread myself very thin sometimes, you know, but, uh, and just well, never do that. everything at all times. Never heard that. <laughs> but, uh, I think thinking that way, you know, and allowing yourself some more room for flexibility and more, you know, just exploration into like your, your passions and your drive and your purpose, you know, there's, I think that's what's important as, as opposed to just, you know, thinking that you, want to do this and this could be good for your brand or for your you know mm-hmm. life along the like it's um thinking long term is is important uh, to an extent but i think that something i learned from my upbringing in spain was just that i can be whatever i want to be at any time you know and and yeah, like you said like it's it's never too late school is always going to be there right um i still chose to pursue my education just because kind of wanted to get it out of the way too <laughs> but uh, no but I genuinely wanted to you know and it's something that um I'm happy I did but it would have made no difference if I had done it later in life as long as it's something that I you know truly wanted to pursue for the right reasons and that's something that I'm learning still is to do things because I really want to and because I know that I can not just because I'm told to or because I think it's going to be good or because it's going to you know, take me somewhere or, you know, and same with, with my brand and my Instagram and my following and my, my world, you know, my, the fashion industry, there's for years, I, I just thought that, you know, I had to do this to do that. And then this will open this door and this and that. And, and like, all of a sudden I'm like in a place where I would have never imagined I would be, but nothing was random. Right. Like I just, just along the way, I just kind of you know, forgot to open my eyes and look around and maybe I had some missed opportunities here and there, but that's irrelevant now. I think what's important is to just be in touch with yourself. And, and you know, one last thing I'll say that helped me with that was that I learned from a very young age to be okay on my own, you know, with, with myself and just learning how to be alone and enjoy myself and like find things that, you know, 
spark, you know, something inside of me and, and make me feel good. And that was painting. And then that was singing, you know, whatever it was like growing up that I just enjoyed. I tried to keep that because it just brought me back to the present and to myself and it grounded me, you know, and I still do that every single day. I try to, otherwise I don't know where I'll end up, you know. <laughs> are you, are you fully Armenian? Are your parents both like native Armenians? Yeah. So you mentioned that that culture, you know, obviously you felt a little bit of a contrast when you were growing up in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. How does Armenian culture look at like more creative careers? Did you ever feel like, did you, did you feel like your creative endeavors were a career option from the get-go or did you kind of have a little tension with that? Generally, I think Middle Eastern cultures or Eastern European cultures can be a bit more traditional. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's okay, you know, but um, to an extent <laughs> to uh, want to pursue certain, you know, career paths. But I actually personally never felt like my parents force me or push me to do or be anything that I wasn't. And I was really lucky with that. You know, I had their full support with everything, especially when it came to modeling. You know, I was 17 years old when I got scouted. It took us like another year to like find a card from the scout that found us and just like actually reach out and do it. But, you know, they were both a little skeptical, you know, when they first heard about it, but they were like, you know, let's give it a try. We'll set our boundaries. She can do this. She can only do that. Yeah. And you know, we'll see how it goes. Like nobody's going to force her to do anything she doesn't want to do. So, you know, we'll just be on top of it at the beginning. So, and that's what we did, you know, and deep down, I mean, sure, they were strict growing up, you know, and they maybe didn't want me to like go out with my friends or, you know, have sleepovers when I was still young. But at the end of the day, they still had this like trust in me and whatever I chose to do that I'll appreciate forever, you know, and I'm grateful for very much because um, it allowed me to explore what I really wanted to do. And you know what, at the end of the day, I came around and I still got my law degree, you know, and it's, you know, like, it was like reverse psychology. Totally, totally. Well, that freedom, you know, creates the, it creates um, more options. So tell us a little bit about your move to, to America. What, what was it that prompted that? Was it something with your parents or what drove that decision? And then kind of what were the next months and years like right after you moved? So um, the reason why my family and I chose to uh, move to California was because my brother was diagnosed with autism at age four, I think he was. And my parents found that the best autism behavior intervention specialists were in California. So they were like, you know what? (laughs) I just move. Obviously it wasn't as easy as that. They also wanted me to, you know, have better studies, maybe just, you know, we would have just explore life in America and um, <laughs> they just did it again. <laughs> they knew they did it once, so they did it again. So you guys uh, came to California to start. Yeah, we started in California and um, the transition was interesting because I went to high school physically for about a year. That was very interesting for me. It was a completely different world. The dynamic, the school, the the studies, the subjects, everything was different. I didn't find it as easy to adapt. I felt very out of place. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. There were a lot of groups. Yeah. You know, everybody just kind of had their 
um, cliques and all this stuff, like all the things that I saw in American movies growing up. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, cheerleaders, all that stuff was like crazy for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really hard time to transition into a new space because when you're, you know, in your teen years, it's really about figuring out who you are as a person and your place in the world. And I feel like, um, you know, I moved between my junior and senior year of high school, which are the third and fourth final years of high school. Even moving within the same state in the same country was very awkward mm -hmm. because, you know, you lose all sense of familiarity. And so I can just imagine coming from a different country and culture that it's, you know, even more intense. Were you um, English speaking at the time or were you starting over? Like, I actually didn't speak English that well. Um, I had kind of a beginner to intermediate level. Mm -hmm. I um, didn't have the best English teacher in Spain. I hope she's not listening. Um, <laughs> so when I moved, I was actually placed in English learning development classes. So mm -hmm. I was pretty much starting from scratch, you know, um, mm -hmm. So that was interesting also. Uh, luckily in California, everybody either speaks Spanish or Armenian, so I was set. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah you find your people. I found my people. I didn't even okay. need to learn English. <laughs> but I actually had a great teacher in high school in America, that um, an English teacher, and he was great. So um, I actually, I was, I kind of already have an ear for languages, um, yeah. you know, having learned three uh four you know uh until like from two to 16 years old I, I learned a few languages along the way um so English was relatively easy for me compared to <laughs> the other ones I speak they say English is one of the easier languages to learn it's just we have all of these weird <laughs> yeah. non-rural exactly. rules yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that's kind of part of our, the other side of our podcast is like we are just yeah. obsessed with like breaking down like okay where do these English words <laughs> come from and they're usually all from other other languages yeah. you know but our meanings sometimes get like twisted and turned and you know they're not actually even what they originally sounded like <laughs> they were the you, so. kills me too i had to do a lot of yeah. imitating other people just to actually yeah. get the accent <laughs> and the pronunciation right. yes and then throwing californian accent so where in california did you move did you we move? moved to glendale <laughs> believe it or not glendale, okay so in the la area oh so perfect so you really did like Valley not to pigeonhole you, but there is a large Armenian population. That's true. So we like, knew where we were going. That's very. That must have been so comforting. <laughs> to an extent, it was, yeah. Totally. <laughs> but yeah, the transition wasn't easy, and obviously, teenage years were already tough. So, moving yeah. to America with with the added pressure of the American culture was extremely difficult, and. Um, so I was kind of glad that I actually homeschooled <laughs> once I started working. I found that much easier. And then it's been my way of studying and, and being for the past like few years. So homeschooling has been actually kind of great. <laughs> what was the hardest or like most awkward thing for the year that you were initially in school? Making friends. Friends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I have I mean I, I went from having childhood friends in Spain you know that I grew up with I had a full life mm -hmm. with and you know friends who like put a full video together yeah. and then like a full party for me and like you know kids that I, that I spend my life with to a brand new set of beliefs and and, and perspectives and, and just people that were just completely different culture 
So it was, that was a tough one, you know, yeah. and it's honestly, it still is. <laughs> it's been 10 years. I'm still struggling making friends. <laughs> I feel like, especially during high school, so much is changing in our lives and our bodies, you know, in mm-hmm. our worlds and our pressures that I feel like even more so we cling to the things that are familiar. So for a lot of kids, it's the, even if it's just one or two friends that you've like established along the way, mm-hmm. those friends become so important during that time yeah. to, so to completely pick up and start fresh. So it's mm-hmm. like, you really had, it doesn't sound, apart from your family, you know, like, and the, your culture a little bit and being familiar in Glendale, like that you really didn't have that much to feel comfortable with. How was like your art at this time? Were you really like leaning into that as you were like moving or do you not feel inspired because of the transition? No, if anything, I actually had more time to kind of just focus on myself. I mean, I was mm-hmm. spending a lot of time on my own and um, painting was just a constant for me. It, it, I never stopped. So I actually so- sold my first piece at 17, which was really exciting. I couldn't let it go. But <laughs> since then, I've just been, you know, once I started modeling too, I, I started doing collaborations. I started implementing it into my, my other world. But it's still always been like kind of like my little thing, my baby, you know, that, that, that one thing that I just won't let go of. And, you know, sometimes I don't even want to like bring it too much into my other worlds you know I just kind of want to distinguish them so yeah painting was was definitely a constant <laughs> I, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, you know your entry into the modeling world you said you were scouted at the time that you were scouted you know you're obviously very beautiful and uniquely beautiful were you aware of that at the time like how did you feel like body confidence at the time self-esteem and everything and then can you walk us through like when you were scouted and how you kind of started modeling sure so my mom and I were shopping at a mall and uh, we got approached by a casting director and she was like have you ever modeled do you model nope (laughs) and um, she she gave us her card and my mom put it on her purse and then we forgot about it (laughs) until like a year later when she found it again she was like oh what is this and we just looked her up and we found that she was like one of the biggest casting directors in LA. And we reached out to her. She put us in touch with an agency in LA. And, you know, after much consideration, you know, we decided to give it a try. I was 17 at the time. It was, it was a brand new idea for me. Like the idea of modeling wasn't even in my, like I had, I didn't even understand what it was, right? Like I just thought it was like, you know, runway, right? Like maybe a runway, maybe some of the magazines, like some of the girls in the magazine. I don't know. I had no idea. Funny enough, I actually got scouted. I didn't get scouted, but I, I got approached to by uh, someone else in Spain once. <laughs> um, I never really gave it any thought. I got home all excited and I was like, mom, mom, like, look what this is. And I was like 15 years old and they were like, no. <laughs> so I think it was meant to happen. It's just different, you know. <laughs> timing wasn't right so my body image was not really something that I thought much of until I started modeling and then all of a sudden I was faced with like all kinds of ideas of what I should look like what my body should look like and I'm I'm still a developing kid right like I'm, I'm still my body's changing all the time so especially my weight so that's something that I struggle with a lot I I was you know I still had a little baby you know a chub like on my face and like my body and that was like back then when there wasn't much inclusivity it was just very tough I knew I needed to look a certain way and I just couldn't get there doesn't matter it didn't matter how much 
I a didn't matter how much I worked out. It didn't like emotionally. I just was a wreck, you know, for a, a long time. It was really, really hard to reach those standards mm-hmm. while I was so emotionally hurt by the idea of having to satisfy these standards, you know. And I, um, I struggle with my body image a lot. I, I, I had body dysmorphia. I would just look at myself when I was on my skinniest, and you know, wasn't really taking care of myself the way I am now. And I was just like, you know, just not happy. And it was something that hurt me a lot for a lot of years and you know something that I struggled with until like you know a few years ago honestly and um even now like sometimes I'll like look at myself and I'm like you know maybe I'll gain a little weight but now it's like a healthy Mm -hmm. way to look at myself back then I was like every half a pound was like torture and you know the more I was stressing the more I was gaining weight and it was like it was a whole thing. It was, it was, it was really tough, and the standards were very different back then too. Now it just, you know, after a lot of hard work inside, you know, within, I realized that it wasn't worth trying to get the approval from everyone else by sacrificing my own emotional, mental, and physical yes. health. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you know, I tolerated that for way too long. I, I still do in a lot of ways, you know, whether it's body image or everything else, you know, everything about me. I gave my power to a lot of people that didn't even deserve my attention, not just in the industry, but just in life. That's something that I've worked on for a long time. And, you know, there's still, you know, glimpses here and there of just some of that insecurity, but I'm embracing my body and my, my myself way more now than I did back then. And I, I, I wish I knew what I know now back then, but I also just know that, you know, that was just my process. I had to go through it and it brought me where I am. I was, you know, I had, I've, I've had a great career. I still, I still do. I'm really happy with everything I do. And at the end of the day, like my clients book me for me too, you know, and now, especially like I just, you know, certain teams that I work with frequently that I just so enjoy being with, you know, like being surrounded by and I feel confident just being myself and being goofy on set and just, you know, doing my thing. And I don't even look at my body anymore. I don't look at my, you know, I don't, I don't look at myself that way anymore. I mean, some days I have darker circles and some days I feel a little more bloated than others, but you know, it's, it's, it's not the core of my existence (laughs) anymore. (laughs) I'm exaggerating, but you know. It's so beautiful to listen to you talk about this transitive journey from, you know, having body dysmorphia, which I think really, you know, not only is it so common and I feel like more recently becoming more accepted for people to talk about, but in a way it's something that stays with you for forever. You get better at managing it because you learn how to self-regulate and talk to yourself, but you really, like you said, you have to go through this journey like self-exploration and like developing and building on your own confidence in order to manage that. And it it does like will rear its ugly head sometimes and like you'll find yourself in that trap. But like having done all the work for so many years, I think that's what really helps, you know, keep those negative, like that negative self-talk at bay. I'm so intrigued Mm -hmm. because you are clearly incredibly accomplished from not just a creative standpoint and within your modeling career, but also, you know, educationally. And, you know, you talk about pursuing now um, your dream of becoming an immigration lawyer or practicing immigration law. And I would really love for you to share with us, you know, how that journey came to be, like how you, 
you know, made all of those worlds collide. Like you have your modeling career and you started to infuse that with your art, which I, I want to hear about. And then, you know, where school kind of came in and where the inspiration for that, you know, really started taking off. Sure. So, um, you know, the idea of continuing my education after high school was, you know, always there. So I jumped right in. I knew that I had to, you know, and uh, the, the idea of becoming a lawyer was kind of, you know, in my head growing up, but I never really thought I would pursue it. I never really thought I'd get here. So um, I felt very proud graduating last year and then getting into USC <laughs> and I'm about to finish my, my master's this year, which is really exciting. But, you know, I have a family, I have family members who are in law. I have family members who are in immigration law specifically. And, you know, my family and I being two-time immigrants, it's, you know, it's something that's close to my heart. And I feel like it's, you know, a field in law that I could really change people's lives, you know, and, and, and you know, give people a chance at life in America that, you know, they, they think they might not have, you know, and, and, and I think helping one-on-one in the field seems like incredible. I don't know, just, it's something that I'm really passionate about and, you know, I really want to do at some point in my life. I don't know if I'm going to practice right after I graduate uh, and pass the bar, but it's definitely going to happen at some point in my life. I think I want to continue modeling for you know, a few more years, but combining and colliding all of these has been a kind of a trip. <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been a lot. And I, I don't know if it's just my nature and my character that just, you know, I take everything in all at once and just <laughs> do it and just push through and just sleepless nights. But I, um, you know, I found ways to, to discipline myself and become diligent enough to you know, compartmentalize everything and just know that this is due now, this is due tomorrow, this, I have this job this day. So then I have to do all this homework now so I can actually go to work and not have to worry about doing it. So, you know, having enough experience homeschooling, you know, taught me to schedule my life well enough to be able to also have some free time, which is nice every once in a while. But (laughs) um, it's been, you know, it's it's been tough because because I do take on a lot more than I can handle sometimes and spread myself a little thin and when I'm when I've been at my busiest with work and with school I felt unfulfilled because I wasn't painting enough and I wasn't really tapping into that side so you know just finding little ways here and there to kind of make room for other things whether it's if I don't have the time to paint then maybe I have time to pull out my camera on set and just take a couple pictures of you know, the girls that I'm working with or just like being flexible and open-minded enough to kind of, you know, explore different ways to get everything, you know, and mesh everything. Yeah, satisfy all those different kind of impulses that you have. I think it's so cool. So you you started homeschooling, was that before or after you moved to New York? So you you moved to New York for modeling, correct? I moved to New York for modeling, yes. And uh, I've been pretty much... uh, I was hybrid for a while, um, and then mm-hmm. I've been fully homeschooled. Well, homeschooled. I've been doing online for the past uh, yeah, through, year and a half. College, college. Um, yeah. So, uh, thankfully, USC provided a, a great online program for my Master of Laws. So that's been it's been relatively manageable uh, with work. But yeah, I uh, homeschooling has been a big part of my my <laughs> you know my life and. Uh, it taught me a lot about discipline and about balancing 
my schedule, especially with modeling and traveling and moving around so much. Um, I know we're kind of like hopping around a little bit, but I I want to, you know, because you mentioned wanting to um, talk a little bit more about your art and that that whole side of you and how Mm -hmm. you kind of brought it into, you know, your career as well. You mentioned having that first sale when you were 17. What are some other ways that you kind of found yourself bringing your art more into the public space, monetizing it? How did you approach that um, from a more career perspective? So um, some of the ways I actually found most helpful was social media. You know, I was when I was 17, 18, I was posting my work. I was posting my work as if, you know, just my hobby, just I didn't intend to monetize it at all. It was actually, I actually intended the opposite. It was the last thing I wanted to do was give away my pieces. <laughs> but, um, you know, Instagram helped a lot with that. I um, posted my artwork. I still do. It's it's a big part of my life and who I am. And then I always made it public just maybe for the sole intent of just like sharing my art and maybe some people like it, maybe some, some people don't, maybe it inspires some people, maybe it doesn't. And it started catching some of my clients' attention. And um some collaboration opportunities came up and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Sure. Let's do it. So I did, um, one of the coolest things I did was this collaboration with, uh, tree torn a few years back. Uh, I did this photo shoot with Andre 3000. We did this cool, uh, he created his own sneakers. I created my own sneakers. We painted on them and then we put them up for auction, uh, for charity. And, um, we did a whole campaign about it. It was uh, pretty cool. And I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, combining art, modeling, uh, charity work, like that's something that I'm, you know, really interested about. And uh, I found it uh, very exciting. And then I had other clients who just wanted to just do photo shoots with me and my art and just painting a backdrop for Nordstrom and then just catching the whole process and then shooting myself with my own backdrop and then I just, it was, yeah, I didn't realize how cool it was until I was like sitting there and painting and I was like, okay, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. And to be something that like you, you had been doing since you were a young girl, you know, a young child and now it's just blossomed into this, this thing that, that again, you didn't like plan from the get go. It wasn't like, I'm going to learn this drawing style <laughs> because it's going to get me a, a deal with Nordstrom one day, you know, it was just something that you continued to foster and pay attention to you and really like, you know, it's a little garden that you were watering this whole time. Um, so, so cool. As an artist, um, I imagine that your work, like you mentioned that you didn't even originally mm-hmm. want to get rid of anything. And I, what I believe is like art can be so personal, like it's so therapeutic, like it's this extension of your creativity and your inner thoughts. And sometimes that can be quite intimate. And so I wonder, like, when you started exploring these collaborative spaces and you started being approached, what was that like? Like, did you have fearfulness that, you know, that you would, like, on any spectrum, like, that it wouldn't be good enough? Or did did you have fearfulness that you wouldn't have enough control over your own artwork? Like, what was that like for you? That's, that was one of my biggest problems when I first started doing this. And I still have that. I just shot this one campaign. I I'm not supposed to talk about it quite yet. I signed an NDA, um, but we did it around my art too, which was incredible. And I can't wait for, for it to come out, but I actually hated the piece that I painted for it. And I feel I've been thinking about it since we shot it. And I'm like, oh my God, I wish I did something different. I wish I planned it better. Not that it would have made a difference, but I had like this whole sketchbook with all the ideas that I was going to do. And then I was faced with like a big backdrop. I was given like the paint that I that didn't really work with that backdrop. Like 
you know, not the right circumstances, not what I imagined it to be, not how I planned it in my head. And then all of a sudden I did this piece that I kind of hated. Everybody was like, no, it's great. It's great. Didn't matter. I hated it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm really excited about the campaign, but I'm just hoping that they're cropping my images so that the <laughs> painting in the backdrop doesn't really show that much. <laughs> but I, I've had that from the beginning. It's, it's something really, you know, like I said, mm-hmm. it's something really intimate. It's something that, you know, it takes time. It takes yeah. care, you know, it take it just takes this part of me that I just can't tap into that quickly. It's not like, um, it's not like modeling. Modeling comes yeah, much yeah. easier to easily to me in that sense where I can just like, you know, snap and like all yeah, of a sudden I on. see a camera <laughs> and I can turn it on. Right. Yeah. So with painting, it's, it's something that I can't do. Like I need to like, first of all, I need to be in the headspace for it. I don't yeah. know if this is every artist, but I just, I need to be in the headspace for it. And if I'm not, nothing's going to come out, Yeah. you know, and, and, and there's a process to it. There's like, it starts with a sketch, it can transition into some ink work, and then it can transition into some more paint, and then all of a sudden it just makes sense, and then it doesn't make sense, and then you start over, right? So yeah. when I'm collaborating with my clients, they maybe they have some ideas, or maybe they're just, they don't tell me about it, and then I show up to set and they're like, today you're painting, and I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, um. <laughs> it's so much pressure. I mean, I, yes. I've obviously, I've never done a big campaign with a major company, but I write, and so I I used to do a little bit of copy. And I think one of the things that was so difficult is like you pour your like soul into this thing that you write and then you send it off. And then the person's like, can we just like take this chunk <laughs> out? And you're like, but wait, like that's the whole thing. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like, or like you've had, you like are working with somebody that's like, you, when like Google Docs first came out, I'd be like, okay, well, like, let me type this out for you in real time. You could just take a look. And then you'd see them like deleting stuff like as you're writing and you're oh, just like, okay, this torture. is not, this is not art. <laughs> this is like- yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I actually, yeah. I think everybody's just- I'm finding those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I've been lucky enough to have clients that have just kind of given me the freedom to, yeah. to just do it's whatever important. it makes a difference right? um, but <laughs> it's it's important to just have your own you know space and your own rhythm and your and it's hard when you have some pressure from the outside yeah. you know to, to like do it a certain way and that's why commission pieces are so yeah. difficult for me and you know i just did this piece for for charity i'm still working on it yeah. but it took me like it took me a week right it's not that long but I put my I put my everything into it and then it just came out horribly. So I had to redo it. And it's like a really intricate pencil work, realistic piece combined with like abstract um, expressionism. But the the intricate like mm-hmm. pencil work just takes so much time and effort that when I ruined that first piece, I was like, no. <laughs> you know, but most of the judgment usually comes from me. So. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well that's that's the thing too, is like when you are presenting the world with a piece of artwork. It's so, you know, everybody interprets it differently. I mean, you imagine going into a museum and looking like at Picasso or Matisse and you could be like, oh, this is what this evokes in me. But you really don't like unless the artist is alive and can tell you, no, this is like what my intention was. Really, it becomes personal to the viewer. And then what you put out on a piece of paper or on a canvas is so personal to you. So it's really a different experience for every person. All, <laughs> all to say, I think that your campaign, whatever it is, is going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be great. I can't, I'm going to like look yeah. for it. I can't wait to see it. I won't even know what it is when yeah. I'm seeing it. <laughs> no, your art. You know, I mean, I remember, like, I think when we first met, we were on a show for Macy's back when Macy's would do those big sh- glamorama shows 
And I remember we were like waiting between scenes and you were drawing and I was like looking over your shoulder. And this is, I guess, I must've been before you moved yeah. to New York because we were still working out of LA. And it was this beautiful face, but you were doing like these beautiful shading things. So you have to, um, audience, <laughs> like look up Rubina and her work because it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's blossomed into all it's these so different, phenomenal. Um, like, you know, media <laughs> now. Um, but it is, it is just gorgeous. And, um, it has this sense of like kind of, it is very realistic, but it has this like fantasy freedom sense to it too. So you'll have to check it out and we'll, we'll have to share some of it on our blog. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you have mentioned, you know, your passion for charity. Obviously you have like this humanitarian side to you, whether it's coming across in your pursuit of your law career, but also, you know, you mentioned your, your brother's autism and that cause, but also other other charitable causes that you've been interested in. Um, can we talk a little bit about when those seeds were kind of planted in your life and how they've grown since then? So, uh, to be honest, a lot of them started from my own, like, you know, my career and my branding as like multifaceted, multidimensional, you know, woman. But it really sparked an interest along the way of like actually making a change in whatever capacity it was right like because sometimes it can just be like a post about autism on my feed and maybe some people will see it and they'll scroll right past or maybe some people will see it and some family members will see it of you know autistic children and they'll be like oh where can we get diagnosed where can we get some resources what can we do so along the way it really really sparked an, an interest to try and, and, and do some work in whatever capacity that is. And, um, you know, ideally after, you know, I graduate and, and I have some more time, maybe I would love to have my own charity too. But um, for now, I just really like to collaborate with, with charities and organizations that speak to me. And um, one of the biggest ones that I work with is Autism Speaks. You know, I've done a, a lot of collaborations with them. They are one of the biggest organizations in the world with, you know, raising awareness and acceptance and funds for, for autism research. And it's, um, you know, it's an organization that has gone through a lot of changes for the past few years. It, you know, it's an ever evolving, you know, uh, world and, 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 you know, there's new things we learn every day about autism. And I think it's, you know, they keep up with that. And there's other organizations that I work with too. One of the most recent ones that I work with was Lollipop Theater. Uh, network and they you know they read stories to children hospitalized nationwide and they you know they just bring people in and uh, they had me read a couple of stories in Spanish and it had to be over Zoom so I actually didn't get to see uh, some of the kids but I think there's there's always time and space to be of service in whatever way that is whether it's small acts during the day or just you know if if you get a chance to you know get involved with with charities and I think that's something that I really want to keep exploring um, for the years to come and do better help out in any ways that I can and um, hopefully it's in some someday have my own organization and my own foundation and just just be of service yeah, well I love how you you know I feel like becoming of service or or starting to work with charities can feel kind of like intimidating and broad in general to people but mm -hmm. I love how, you know, you obviously took a cause that was close to home and something where you're like, okay, this is important to me personally, you know, mm -hmm. and from there you kind of just start working in different ways, whether it's like collaborating with your art, collaborating, you know, with what, what you can, where you are mm -hmm. and it, and it just grows from there. So I, I love how you've woven that through the things that you've done 
and I'm excited to see where you'll be going. So this has been like such a delight. You're you're such a beautiful person inside and out. Um, I feel like we could just talk all night, <laughs> um, but we'll respect your time. I know you're also um, on East Coast time. So we'll transition into our fast five and kind of close it out. Um, yeah. What do you think? Keish? I'm nervous. <laughs> no, don't be nervous. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to answer fast. I don't, I mean, <laughs> there's um, no pressure. <laughs> it's like, go, go, go. slow five if you want. <laughs> okay. Do you want to start with the fast five, Ashi? Or I'll start you, with okay. number one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll go for it. So obviously, you know, we've talked a little bit about you're doing a lot of different things. You're balancing a lot of different things. And you're, um, you've mentioned the importance of discipline and compartmentalization. So what are your, like, your favorite, obviously you have to be really organized in order to balance all these different things. What are your favorite organizational tactics or tools? Um, definitely a to-do list. I used to have like my own notebooks or agendas or, you know, little things that I used to write it with pen. And now there's this new, mm-hmm. I think the new update on the iPhone just lets you have like uh, your list, like your to-do list right on, like you can make it on your, you know, main screen. So that's like my number one go-to. Like I put all my to-do, you know, work, school, mo- like everything, art, e- like even like just like my silly like tasks around the house. Everything is on that list. And until I check it off, I can't. Right? <laughs> it feels so good when you do check it off, right? You're, ta- you're talking to two women who love lists. I just, I don't know. I just feel great. <laughs> well, this is actually the perfect segue into question number two. Once you have everything checked off your list and you've got everything done, how do you unwind and take time for yourself? Definitely self-care. <laughs> I do try and work on myself in one way or another <laughs> during the day, whether it's journaling, whether it's talking to someone, whether it's just like, I think every free time I have, I like to spend on that because I think that's the core of the rest of my day and the rest of my tasks yeah. and the following tasks. You know, if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of anything else. So that list depends on that kind of self-care. Yeah. Obviously a bubble bath and um, face mask helps too, but <laughs> 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 journaling, journaling is that thank you. Okay. So good. Do you have a favorite or most cherished piece of art? Uh, <laughs> I probably do. And it's probably framed in my mom's office <laughs> or at home, hanging at home. <laughs> so I think some of my favorite ones are also my parents' favorite ones. So I think they're yeah, definitely Aww. ones that we have hanging at home. Very nice, yeah. <laughs> is it a, a like portrait or landscape or what? Um, so it's uh, one of them is actually just this watercolor piece of a random editorial portrait that I found. Um, I you know I just it was kind of it's more abstract than it is realistic. And there's another one that's um, watercolor only. Then the other one is one that I did recently actually. That's uh, pencil ink and like this fluorescent. Uh, marker piece that I did I don't know it was kind of a phase I was going through <laughs> but um so yeah I don't know every every piece is uh, special in its own way <laughs> are you gonna share them on your on your social uh yeah I think I will I think in the next few weeks I might have to share Perfect. this one. <laughs> Great. we'll be we'll be keeping an eye out you heard it here first folks okay um favorite book podcast source of info or inspiration that helps kind of get you into a creative headspace TED talks mm. TED talks are yes. very very fun they're just some of them are just quick and easy and straight to the point I I have uh I have a bunch of 
books that I really like. Um, I can't really pick one specifically. Uh, Everyday Vitality by Samantha Boardman is actually a great book um, about positive psychology, which is uh, something that I guess not a lot of us are familiar with. <laughs> but we'll leave that book in our show. So, yeah. Perfect. Um, so number five, how do you like hype yourself up when you're feeling nervous or shy? Or how do you like, what do you um, tap into like when you turn it on when you're modeling? What's kind of your switch? The switch is no switch at all. <laughs> I think it's just um, if I have a switch, that means I'm overthinking it. <laughs> so it's just not going to come to me. So at home, I like to hype myself up with like some music or just like putting on a face mask. Um, and on set, I just kind of, I work with a lot of lovely teams. So they're just already kind of, you know, they're easy to work with. Um, I feel like, you know, I can be myself and just you know, being goofy, being goofy gets me hyped up, like just being me and just being like, just not thinking and like not thinking about a switch, you know, like just kind of going with it. And if I'm not getting in there, just not be myself up about it. Mm-hmm. And just kind of, um, you know, I'll find it along the way. And if I don't, then yeah. it's fine. I'll just have a bad day. I don't know. <laughs> True. I love it. I love well, it. Well, our final question, that's not really part of our fast five, but we like to ask, um, what was one quality that you had as a young woman that maybe you didn't appreciate or take pride in back then, but now that you look back, you appreciate so much more? Um, being sensitive. <laughs> I mm. have always been very emotional and very sensitive. Like I can't talk without crying. Um, <laughs> but um, as I got older and especially recently in the past couple of years, I was like, you know, that's not a bad thing, right? Like if anything that maybe means I care, you know, and I care more. And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I I just don't beat myself up about it anymore. And I just think that it's something that I must embrace through my journey and through my healing and through my, you know, um, inner work. And it's um, something that's going to help me along the way. It's, 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 yeah, it is a superpower. (laughs) I think so too. And I love and appreciate so much how honest you are and transparent about you know, your journey, both inwardly and outwardly with your career. I think you are so inspiring and you just have so many incredible qualities and talents. And it is so cool to see how you have really taken all of these interests from very different places, seemingly, and brought them all together and created this world around you that is just so vibrant and artistic and creative. And it's just, it's so wonderful. So we cannot wait to share your stories with our girls and we'll definitely have to send them to your social pages can you tell our audience where they can find you where they can see your artwork where they can follow your journey so uh i think most of my journey is usually on my instagram at rubina diet um and you can also go on rubina which is my my website where i post my art it's kind of more of a um informal just kind of like you know, back in the day with your Tumblr pages, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, just kind of, you know, just it's a very art. cool portfolio of work though. I mean, highly recommend going to check it out. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time Thank today. You. This has been so wonderful. That was Thank lovely. You, Thanks so much. So great. <laughs> Can't wait to do it again. <laughs> and that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like subscribe to follow and share meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. 
Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?